This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Thanks for coming. Thanks for hanging out. This, uh, this talk is called Getting Serious, uh, and it's about graduating from a hobby podcast to what we call middle class income. We're going to define that uh, in a second. Um, I had a little cold before coming to the conference, and then I've been screaming at the booth and at parties and stuff. So if I go into a coughing fit, you know, uh, give me, cut me with some slack. And if my voice cracks like I'm a 13-year-old, you feel free to laugh at me. I can take it. Um, Cool, so just two seconds about me without being too um, self-promotional. I'm the CEO of a company called Red Circle, which is a podcast hosting and monetization company. What we do is we help uh, podcasters with uh, you know, distribution and analytics, all the things you get from a hosting company, as well as uh, monetization and growth technology for uh, growing your audience and making some money from what you do. Uh, I've been in the game for about five years. We've been running this company for about that much time. Uh, and we've worked with podcasters that are on day zero. Uh, and we've worked with podcasters that are making seven figures a year in the space. So you've seen kind of top to bottom how it can work, uh, whether you're a celebrity uh, or just uh, somebody in your basement with something to say in a microphone. Um, so to get started with this, I want to help define uh, what we call middle class podcasts. Um, and uh, we call it that because uh, we're not here to necessarily discuss uh, total beginners or the very beginning. We're not really here to talk about the biggest podcast either. So these are examples of what are not middle class. Um, you know, Joe Rogan, uh, who gets paid $200 million a year, uh, is uh, not, not middle class, right? Even, you know, who is basically a solo independent artist, uh, it was still on call uh, uh, middle class because of how big the show is and how much money is being made. And then on the other end, you know, enterprise publishers like the New York Times or big news uh, publications with large teams and significant talent and all kinds of resources, these are not the middle class podcasts that we're here to talk about. Um, you know, there's been a lot of new money that has come into podcasting, and a lot of celebrities and big organizations are making a lot of money at the top of the market. Um, but there's also a huge, significant middle class. And then at the very bottom, you know, there's podcasts like this, people who um, are giving things a go uh, and are trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and if you Google around in, uh, in Spotify or elsewhere, you can find actually quite a few of these. Um, people who are just trying to figure it out, and that's, that's cool. It's a complicated medium. There's a lot going on, and uh, everybody needs to you know, get there and figure things out uh, as best they can. Um, what we're going to do as a frame for this talk uh, is define middle class as podcasts that have anywhere from a couple hundred downloads uh, to, a, to maybe 100,000 downloads in, for a given episode or in a given week. So you know, it's a pretty thick middle class, and I'll define that in a second. And I'm going to use a couple of um, made-up podcasts to be the frame for the discussion today. These are actually all real podcasts that use Red Circle, and I'm gonna show some data from them, but I've anonymized them so you don't know sort of who they are. I don't wanna share any information about somebody else's podcast or revenue. Um, so one of them is a sports podcast, gets about 6,000 downloads per episode. I'm gonna call it Sports Ball. That's not what it's really called. Um, uh, it's a daily sports, right? So sports news um, and an avid listener base. The second one is about Survivor, but I'll call it The Pod Has Spoken because I'm, I'm not a big Survivor guy. Um, it's a reality TV show. It's got about 10,000 subscribers, a lot of social media usage, a lot of uh, interaction with their community. Um, and the last one uh, is sort of a, a smaller show, 500 you know, committed listeners, um, and uh, they really support the creator, and it's a kind of motivation show. It's called Live Your Life. Okay, so I'm going to use these as a, a frame for the discussion today so you can get an idea of what real podcasts are doing in this space without me talking about who they really are. 
Um, so one thing I want to talk about is sort of how many middle-class podcasts are there. Um, you know, there's uh, four-plus million podcasts that have been created since the beginning of time, you know, a, a vast majority of which have been created in the last few years. Podcasting went through an insane uh, growth curve during the pandemic where everybody was stuck at home and had something to say. Um, and uh, during that time, there's been huge numbers of new podcasts, but a lot of them have uh, either disappeared or never got a chance to grow. Um, and then at the very top, there's only a couple. So what we do is we look at all the podcasts in Apple Podcast Directory, uh, and we're graphing them here uh, based on how many reviews they have uh, on their Apple Podcasts page, right? If you have a lot of reviews, then you probably have a lot of listeners, right? If you have zero reviews, you probably don't have a lot of listeners, right? It's not a perfect measure. Maybe some audiences are more likely to review than others, but this is a good way to get a feel for uh, how big a show is. And if you look at the distribution of these things, you'll see that, um, you know, for shows that uh, have less than 50 reviews, uh, that's 97% of all the podcasts that exist out there. It's a huge, vast majority of the shows that never quite graduate to uh, an audience of much significance. Um, well, that's not the right way to frame it. An, an audience that's super large. Um, and then if you look at the very, very top, the shows that have like the most, most reviews, it's just a teeny tiny sliver. Um, and very few podcasts will ever get up to that level. That said, if you take a look at where the reviews themselves are distributed, in other words, where's the audience? Is it all 97% of the audience uh, in small little buckets in the millions of shows in the 97%? Uh, or is all the audience you know, with Joe Rogan and the New York Times at the top? And the answer is a huge portion of the audience is actually in the middle. Um, if you look at the very small podcast, even though there are literally millions of them, when you aggregate them up, they only represent uh, 11, 12% of the audience, or what does it say, 15% of the audience. And the huge shows are quite huge. Together, they represent 35% of the audience. But it's in this middle zone that we call the fat torso, which is named after me, um, uh, is 50% is, is of the podcast listening. The audience is not exclusively at the very top. And actually, very little of the audience is down at the very bottom. Uh, it's in this middle class zone where podcasters are good at what they do, talking about more niche topics or about um, uh, with audiences that really are connected to the host, where 50% uh, of the listening is happening. It's only about 50,000 podcasts. So when people talk about how you're competing with millions of other ones, in the middle class, there's not nearly as much competition, and there's a huge amount of listening happening here. Um, and without, again, you know, talking about Red Circle too much, we are very focused on this area in terms of providing tools and technology to help the podcasters who are here um, be able to compete with the ones that are at the top who have you know, sales teams and enterprise technology and marketing teams and everything else. So um, you know, maybe you're in the middle class today, maybe that's an aspiration for you and you wanna see how to get there or how to grow once you do, um, but that's what this talk is gonna be about. It's gonna be about podcasts who are here in this middle zone and, uh, and what you can do to continue to grow and then eventually monetize your podcast into anything from you know, beer money to date night money to car payment money to, to rent money. Um, so one thing that I want to start with as the frame for uh, all the discussions I'm about to do about revenue and growth is that you don't need to be a New York Times-sized podcast or a Joe Rogan-sized podcast to deliver life-changing revenue. Um, you know, maybe you won't become a millionaire overnight, but um, if every, I imagine just about everybody in this room, if they could get a, their car payment or their rent payment partially covered, um, that would go a long way towards making the podcast something that was meaningful for you in your life financially, 
as well as meaningful, just, you know, you put a lot of time and energy into the show, uh, getting some financial reward can help you to feel good about it. But if you want to sort of get to the level where, um, where this revenue can become meaningful for you, uh, we're going to talk about three different things that you should focus on um, to try to continue to grow and monetize the show. So the first thing we talk about is listener payments. And we're going to go into depth about that how to uh, engage with your fans uh, and see if they want to uh, give you uh, dollars directly uh, in exchange for exclusive content or ad-free version of the show. We'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about growth techniques and technologies, how to grow your audience, which is the thing everybody wants to know, so we'll get into that at great depth. And then the last bit is about how to monetize with advertising revenue. Uh, once you get to a certain size, that advertising revenue becomes worthwhile, um, so maybe you need to focus on the first two until you get there. Um, but combining all three of these once you get into this middle-class state is how you can maximize your revenue and continue to grow. So we'll start with listener payments. Um, maybe show of hands, does anybody have like a Patreon or is collecting listener payments, things like that? Awesome. Yeah, this is a great tool to use, especially when your show is a little bit smaller. Um, the shows on Red Circle, we look at the shows that are how much they're making per download. In other words, how monetized is the audience, uh, uh, normalized to the audience. And uh, the answer is the shows that are relatively small and do listener payments effectively are the ones that are making the most money per download, right? So maybe you only have 500 listeners, you're not making a million dollars. But if you had a million listeners, you'd be making more than the folks that monetize with advertising. So this is a very important tool to use to start to make money on your podcast before advertising is really possible. The first thing I like to say about this is a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to ask my fans for money, like, I'm kind of guilty about, you know, I don't want to, like, burden them, or um, it makes me feel like I'm, like, panhandling or something like that. And um, what we've heard from podcasters as they turn these things on for the first time is that their fans are actually really excited to have the opportunity to reward you or to show gratitude for what you're doing. If you think about the podcast that you listen to, you know, I've been listening to one since, I don't know, 2007 or something that I've been donating to um, for years. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many collective hours I've spent listening to these two guys talk. Um, uh, it's really not that big a deal for me to give them $4 a month, which is what I think I do. Um, but it, collectively for them, it allows them to do the show, uh, make it a part of their, uh, you know, make, make, makes it their career. Um, and a lot of, and, and I'm really excited and happy to do it. I'm not like, I can't believe these guys are asking me for money. They're already making $30,000 a month on Patreon. Um, so. A lot of folks have the natural, you know, feeling. It's like, oh, I don't want to burden my audience. Um, but I think it's okay to ask your fans to support the show. Um, you know, what makes it a lot easier is if you're just not asking for money just for money's sake, you're providing value for the value that you're getting back. So something like, um, you know, an ad-free version of your show. If you're doing ads, say, hey, for three bucks a month, here's a version of the show that has no ads in it. Um, or creating exclusive content that's only for your paying subscribers, which is actually compelling and interesting. If you just put a bunch of junk up there, or you do it once every two months, you put something extra, and it's not actually meaningful or good, you know, folks are not going to want to keep paying, and folks may never start to pay. Um, and then another thing that we've seen some podcasts use is early drops. So if you have like a season for your show, maybe you release it a month early and you give that out to paying subscribers uh, beforehand. So there's lots of different ideas of how you can make the, uh, the offering that's behind a paywall compelling. Um, and if you do that, maybe that helps you feel a little bit better about asking your audience for money. But again, I'd reiterate that a lot of times your biggest fans, they're eager to support the show. 
and when they, they hear you start turning it into an economic engine for yourself, um, they actually see it for you as graduating uh, into middle class. We're going to talk about that with ads as well. We've heard from podcasters when they first start doing ads that their fans reach out and say, hey, you know, congratulations, glad to see that, like, you're, you've made it. Um, and I think a lot of times creating a monetization program, either with payments or ads, can be seen by the audience as uh, something that um, is aspirational and, and they'll be excited for you. Um, wanted to show you some stats from one of our sports shows. Like I said, it's a daily sports show. And um, this is a graph of their downloads uh, over time. And they publish uh, during the week, right? So um, you can see the downloads go way down over the weekend because they don't publish any new episodes. And the strategy they use to make their paywall compelling is that Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, sorry, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday uh, are all free and ad-supported, and you can get them, uh, you know, in the regular RSS feeds just in Apple and Spotify and everywhere else. And then on Friday, the Friday episode of the show, which is just, just like the other four days, um, you know, the news from that day, uh, is behind a paywall that requires listeners to pay to gain access to. And so this is the downloads that that Friday show gets. And you can see, the y-axis is pretty small, but um, you, know, you can see that the, during the week, each day, they're getting many, many thousands of downloads. Um, and then each Friday, a big spike of downloads when the paid Friday episode drops. And that's only a couple thousand downloads. Not everybody converts into being a paying subscriber, but this particular show has one of the highest conversion rates on our whole platform because uh, every day you're listening to this guy for your sports news. You get addicted to that. That's part of your commute. That's part of your run. That's part of whatever your daily habits are is while you do the dishes. And then when Friday comes around and there's some news story that you really want to hear, um, you know, that's the time you decide, okay, I'm going to pay five bucks to this guy um, so that I can start listening on Friday every day. And so, again, if you want folks to convert into paying customers who are going to support paying listeners who are going to support your podcast, um, finding some hook, some compelling way to draw them in, to get them excited about the idea of supporting you. Um, they'll be excited about helping make your podcast possible and you know, giving back to uh, everything you're giving them, uh, but sometimes can use a little extra push of here, here's some great content or here's some reason why um, paying is a good idea. Um, and the thing about high conversion is that it really pays off. These are the real economics of the podcast in question. Each episode gets about 10,000 downloads, so it's a sizable show. Um, 2,000 of those listeners have converted. This is a 20% conversion rate, which is insane. Um, you know, so many of those users have converted, and that turns into, you know, north of $8,000 a month for this podcaster, um, whereas if this was being monetized exclusively through advertising, you know, this type of uh, revenue would not be possible um, without, you know, nine ads in every episode and a bunch of sales teams and stuff like that. So um, super powerful tool to create life-changing revenue just through subscriptions alone. Just try to figure out how do I convince my audience this is a good idea uh, and don't be afraid to give it a go. Um, we did a little bit more data and we looked at across all the podcasts on Red Circle that use our tools for listener payments. Uh, and we took a look at what are the strategies that they're using? You know, what are, are they doing uh, ad-free versions? You know, how are they convincing people to come in? And by far the largest one is ad-free versions, um, but also extended interviews or, or sort of bonus content um, was a big part of it. Um, so definitely something to consider, something you have to put time and energy into. You can't just say like, okay, I'm gonna put up this paywall and expect a bunch of people to throw money at you. Um, you have to give your audience value uh, for the value that they're gonna give back. So that's one way uh, to sort of graduate to middle class, try to find, you know, I'm sure most of the people in this room would really enjoy having $8,000 in revenue every month. Uh, I certainly would. Um, 
and, uh, and, and really takes a lot of time and energy to construct a program that your, your listeners want. The other thing people want to focus on, and this is kind of uh, is probably 14 sessions uh, at, at the conference on the topic of growth. A lot of podcasts are, uh, you know, sort of, they know their content is good, um, they've been working on it, um, but growth is one of the hardest things to unlock. And if you look around the room, so you see a lot of nodding heads as I say this, you know, everybody's looking to grow, so it's, it's quite challenging. Um, before I get into um, scalable growth channels and how to figure out how to do it, the first thing I want to say, which is not in the slides, is the first step towards growing your audience is creating a really good podcast. Uh, if your podcast doesn't sound good, if it's not entertaining and compelling, if you're not doing it on a consistent basis, um, you're going to struggle to grow. Uh, that's just natural. Uh, you can't convince people to stick around and listen to something that's not good. So uh, before you focus on um, how do I bring people in from the outside, uh, you got to look within and make sure that your podcast itself is something that's really good, uh, really compelling, that listeners are telling you they're loving and that they're, they're making it part of their weekly or daily or monthly routine. Um, that's the first step before you start working on any of this. But there are channels out there that you can use to grow your podcast once you get to this level. Um, you want to make sure the bucket is not leaky before you start putting listeners in the top. Um, one of those uh, uh, problems that we often see uh, is that podcasts get big, you know, audience influx when something happens. Let's say they create a TikTok video and it goes viral or they get featured on Apple Podcasts for a day. Um, and this is something we've seen happen. This is real data from a very large podcast. You can see it did 600,000 plus downloads in a given month. Um, but over time has sort of been slowly making its way down because that event was powerful in driving new audience to them, but the bucket itself was leaky, the content was not as good, it wasn't sticky, uh, and the listeners eventually disappeared. So you have to make sure the content is good and that listeners want to stick around. Um, we're going to talk about a couple different strategies for how to uh, grow your audience. The first one is called feed drops and cross promotions. That's about collaborating with other podcasts and exchanging audience. Uh, we're going to talk about sort of SEO and owning your audience and trying to drive listeners to your show from, uh, from the web, uh, and then also talking about um, using the audience that you have uh, to help grow uh, and tell their friends. So we'll talk about feed drops first. Um, just to define this for folks who might not know, so cross-promotions often means you're either uh, sharing an ad for your show with another podcast uh, or you're going on to another podcast uh, to be a guest uh, or vice versa or you are um, doing something called a feed drop, which is where <clears throat> excuse me, an episode of your show goes on their feed, maybe introduced for 30 seconds by the other uh, host and, and vice versa. And these tools are really powerful ways to grow your audience. Uh, you can get your audio and your content in front of new listeners that you wouldn't be able to find otherwise. Sometimes it takes a little bit of uh, you know, ego reduction to say, okay, I'm gonna partner with somebody and they're gonna get to use my show to promote their thing as well. Um, but we've got the data to show you uh, these things really work and they really move audiences from one place to another. Um, the data that I have here is for a uh, cross-promotional campaign that we ran uh, for a very large network that ran a bunch of ads for their show uh, on Red Circle Podcast. And the graphs are a little small, um, but if you take a look at them, uh, you can see that the conversion rate, which is sort of how many listeners made it to the new podcast that was being promoted, varies dramatically um, from each of these different rows of the table. You know, there's one that's up at like 0.4%, so 0.4% of the audience that heard the ad eventually subscribed to the other podcast, um, and then goes all the way down to like 0.03%, right? So it's like, that's like a, uh, is that a 10x? You know, so, so one, one podcast is 10 times better at convincing their audience to move to another one. 
Um, and it's independent of budget size, it's independent of, um, uh, of all kinds of characteristics. It's the same ad that ran on all these different shows. Um, so we wanted to really understand, we did a bunch of experiments, what makes a cross-promotion good? What are the characteristics that make audiences actually go from one place to the other? We found a couple different things. Of course, the actual content of the cross-promotional ad itself needs to be very compelling. You need to explain in 30 seconds why your show is interesting, why a listener should consider taking the phone out of their pocket while they're doing the dishes, say, oh, that sounds good, I'm gonna go subscribe to that show right now. Um, and you have to give clear instructions about how to find the show uh, and how to subscribe to it. You know, most podcast listeners know how to subscribe to a new show in Apple Podcasts, um, but you gotta be real clear, like open the app, search my show name, uh, and, and now and, uh, and, and, and subscribe, you know, good, clear call to actions. But the most important thing that we found in all of our experiments that empowers this conversion rate is the alignment between the audiences on both sides of the cross-promotion. If your show is a true crime show, it's probably not it which generally appeals to millennial women, not sure why, um, uh, you know, uh, that's not gonna go very well on a daily sports news podcast if you're promoting it there, right? Uh, if your show is about paranormal stuff, uh, it probably doesn't belong on a Bible study podcast. So you have to really think carefully about where these are going and not just pick somebody who's willing to do it. You have to find uh, cross-promotional partners that are going to uh, have an audience that overlaps well with you. It doesn't mean the show has to be about the exact same thing. You know, say the, uh, the reality TV pod probably shares a lot of demographics with a true crime podcast. Um, that can be a good match even if the content is not exactly the same but you do need to be really thoughtful about finding overlap in your audience about who you choose to do cross-promotion with. Um, there are systems, Red Circle has a cross-promotion marketplace, there are several guest directories and cross-promotional directories and places where you can turn to to find other podcasts to cross-promote with. Um, one of the podcasts on our platform that I'm calling Live Your Life um, does uh, our cross-promotion system and picks other podcasts on our platform constantly and runs experiments to find which ones are actually improving the show. It's not a one-time thing. Uh, if you want to find scalable channels for growth that you can repeat and continue to grow your podcast, you have to be able to do this uh, on, a, on a rolling basis. You know, find one audience, find the next one, keep going, uh, keep promoting your show. Uh, doing this thing and making it middle-class income is going to take work, energy, organization, uh, and you're going to have to keep going. It's not a one-time thing. So that's a little bit about cross. Oh, that's a little bit about cross promotion. Uh, I guess I can go back for a second and talk about some of the other uh, channels that uh, that are here. So one of them is about SEO and owning your audience. So this is about um, you want to have a, a website for your podcast. Um, you want to make sure that the title of your podcast can be easily found in search. You don't want to have a title of the show that matches up with. 30 other shows with the same title so that when you search for it in Apple Podcasts, your thing comes up. You want to have the topic of your show be in the title. Uh, if people are looking for a show about self-help, uh, you don't want to call the show like Mike's Podcast because um, people won't find it there naturally, right? If you have a website for your show, you can create blog posts, you can create content where people who are searching for the stuff you're talking about will find your website and then on that site you can drive them to becoming a subscriber to the podcast. You know, the other thing we see here is not just on the web, not just in Apple Podcasts or Spotify when they're searching. We've seen podcasts grow in massive ways through the use of other algorithmic systems. So YouTube, um, TikTok, Instagram, 
you know, we're not just talking about creating content that's like, hey, I launched a new episode, here's a picture of the guests. Um, that's great, you know, keeping your audience engaged is good. Um, but if you can create viral content that somehow gets in front of millions of people, those can be life-changing events for the size of your podcast. Uh, if you can create some compelling stuff, people will come and find you. And so in podcasting, you know, there's uh, Apple's charts. Um, those can drive a lot of new listeners if you can make it up to the top. Um, but if you can't, look for other algorithms uh, and places where people are searching for content um, to try to get your stuff out there as well. And the last one is about leveraging your audience. Um, you know, every single time uh, I listen to that podcast that I pay a couple bucks to that I've been listening to since 2008, every single episode, they, they stress, you know, hey, if you can't give us five bucks, do us something better, like tell a friend about the podcast. Uh, you listen to us every day, um, tell your friend about you know, why it's funny and why you like it, and that can be a really powerful way to grow the audience as well. Uh, if you look at all the data, the way most people hear about podcasts is through word of mouth. Um, and uh, I know, think about the podcast you listen to and how you found them. A lot of times it's because a friend told you, but hey, I've been listening to this podcast, you should check it out. So definitely wanna compel your audience to tell a friend uh, and it's kind of similar to um, what I was discussing earlier with, um, uh, with burdening the audience, right? Change your mindset about what you're asking your audience to do. You're giving a lot of value to them every time you release an episode. Um, they're, you know, listening to your show because they love it. Uh, most of the time they want to help you. It's okay to ask them uh, to do a little bit to give back. <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about is advertising revenue. Um, and same idea. A lot of times people think like, oh, I don't want to put ads on. I want to burden people. Um, but if you think about every single podcast that's in the largest, you know, top 100 charts, not every single one, vast, vast majority of them, they run ads. Listeners expect ads on podcasts. It's okay to burden them with listening to a 30-second spot about BetterHelp. And a lot of times what we hear is that they'll be proud of you. They'll be happy for you that you've sort of graduated to middle class. They've, um, they'll be uh, pumped to hear that you... Uh, you know, are sort of like, th that they're listening to a podcast that has become a business or a podcast that's more legit because the podcaster is now taking it more seriously. Um, you know, it's not that big a deal if you don't want to listen to it to take the phone out and press fast forward. Don't tell the advertisers that I sell to. But, uh, you know, for listeners, it's not the end of the world. Uh, and a lot of times they'll be happy for you. And, and then we've heard that consistently from podcasts that turn on ads for the first time. But if you put 40 ad breaks in your episode, then they will be annoyed, right? If you have, a, if you have an ad break every six minutes, um, that's not gonna be, you know, that, that will annoy listeners and they will start disappearing. Uh, if you make the ads lame, if you sit there and pick up a paper and read it word for word, um, and it doesn't align to the way your show works and it sounds like, uh, you know, it sounds really commercial and doesn't sound like you, that's another way you can alienate listeners and they'll disappear. Um, and then of course, like, People are really good at, uh, at sniffing out, um, I'll say BS, I was gonna say something in full, full <laughs> I was gonna say it fully. Uh, you know, listeners know if you're doing an ad for something that you're not down with. Um, and so you do need to be selective to make sure that your values and what the show is about relates to the advertisement that you're doing. If you're a show that's, uh, you know, uh, well, you can think of bad matches uh, left and right, right? Not just bad matches for the audience in terms of the product to the audience, but bad matches for your values uh, as well. So make sure, you know, you're not just uh, out there to money grab, you're actually providing value to the audience, you try the products and you tell them how great it is. Those kind of authentic ad reads that are in the style of your show and that there aren't 40 of them in a single episode um, can really make sure that the audience doesn't get alienated by the fact that the ads are there. Um, 
It's a couple terms, since I think some people, you know, they're thinking about ads for the first time they might know, uh, not know. Uh, there's programmatic advertising is what we call it in podcasting. And what that means is those ads are uh, pre-recorded. Um, you have much less creative control. They're pre-recorded by the brand and they're inserted uh, oftentimes without you even having control to listen to the specific advertiser. And these ads can often be done in a way such that each individual person who is downloading your podcast uh, is getting a unique version of the show. So for example, I used to live in Ohio um, and I used to get ads all the time for Kroger, which is the lo local supermarket there. Uh, and then when I moved to Boston, where I did a few months ago, you know, now I get Whole Foods or whatever's pop, you know, Star Market over there in, in Boston. Um, and so uh, I get uh, different stuff based on my location, but I can also get different stuff based on all sorts of factors that the advertisers are able to determine. And so it's important to recognize with programmatic ads, um, which are pre-recorded and inserted by the brands, um, you, know, you don't really have creative control because each listener is going to get a totally unique set of ads. And those are also lower priced. You don't have to do any work. You don't record an ad in your own voice. Uh, they just get in there. Um, on the other hand, there's host-read ads, which are more like an endorsement. Uh, you're reading it in your own voice. Um, you know, you have to do a bunch of work, of course, because you have to record it. Maybe that takes a half hour of a couple of takes for a 60-second ad read. Um, but these are much more lucrative, and the CPMs, meaning how much money you make per thousand downloads, can be two, three times larger uh, when you're the one reading the ad. Um, what we see uh, as the way most podcasters do it is they do both, right? We do host-read ads, and we do programmatic ads. You can have them both enabled, uh, and you can use the programmatic ads to fill the space when you don't have a host-read ad that's running. So you may get a host-read deal or two in a given week. Um, maybe you don't have one one week, and the programmatic ads can fill the inventory. Um, so this is real data from The Pod Has Spoken, which is this uh, uh, reality TV recap show. And let me try to explain this somewhat complicated graph. So uh, the x-axis in this graph is time. Uh, so it's over a couple of weeks, I believe. Uh, and each of the different colors uh, represents a, a percentage of, uh, of, how, of the, all the ad insertions that were happening uh, for a different ad. All the light blue that you see that fills up most of the space is programmatic ads. So on a given day, you, see, you can see kind of in the middle, is there a laser pointer on here? Yeah, great. Um, can't see it. This area where there's nothing but light blue up and down, only programmatic ads were running during that week. 100% was filled by the light blue programmatic, right? But when a host red ad runs, it takes some of the, uh, some of the inventory uh, for this green host red ad, and then the light blue fills the rest. And so you can kind of think of it as background uh, ads that are, for, that are cheaper, um, but no work to you. You just turn them on. Uh, and then when you have host red, you fill up all the space that's more lucrative for you. So most podcasters um, that are comfortable with advertising can use both. Um, but of course, you know, on Red Circle and other places that have ad platforms, um, you know, you can often choose to do uh, one or the other. Maybe you don't want to use your voice. You don't want to be like uh, uh, endorsing things and, and kind of using your influence in that way. You just want programmatic. That's a lot easier. Um, that's totally fine. Or maybe you don't want programmatic because you want full control of what advertisers are on your podcast. Uh, and then you only do host red. That's great too. But to maximize your, uh, your inventory, you want to be able to use uh, both uh, and let the programmatic fill whatever uh, host red advertising uh, is not available at that time. Cool. So I'm just going to kind of tie it all together, and then we'll have uh, maybe 10 minutes if people have questions. Um, so graduating to middle class altogether, it's really about three different things. Establishing repeatable growth techniques. Uh, and you remember that graph from before where they had one big burst and they got up to 600,000 downloads a month and then it slowly dwindled off? 
you need to come up with techniques for growth that are repeatable across promotion every two weeks, um, a, uh, a creating search terms for your podcast that people are consistently searching for um, every week, asking your audience to share the show with a friend. These are repeatable and continue to go. Uh, if you only do them one time, it can work, um, but you need to always be continuing to work on growing your audience, uh, otherwise it will dwindle. Um, and then also thinking about subscription revenue, uh, being willing to ask your fans uh, for value uh, in exchange for the value that you provide. Um, and in order to do that well, remembering that you have to have uh, really valuable stuff on the other side of that paywall so that podcasters are excited to give back. And then the last thing, you know, to continue to grow your revenue, uh, finding an advertising partner that aligns with what you're after, whether that's programmatic, host red, or both, um, can be a really powerful tool to get you um, into that middle class income and get you from you know, like I said, from beer money up to something a little bit more meaningful uh, in your life. Um, I wanted to share this quote, which is from a Red Circle podcaster uh, who had been podcasting for many, many years and finally came over to, to our platform and um, started monetizing at a level that was um, proper for the size audience that they had acquired. I'll read it. It says, this has actually changed my life. My show is doing well, and I'm earning enough money to pay for my daughter's college thanks to Red Circle. Again, I don't want this to be a big push for us, but the idea is, um, you know, this person was stressed uh, about that for many moons, but the influx of cash is, is helping to end that. And so, you know, again, this person didn't buy a million dollar house from this thing. They didn't, their podcast didn't like uh, get bought by uh, Spotify for $200 million like Joe Rogan. Um, but sometimes uh, this thing that you've been working on really hard, if you can get a couple thousand dollars out of the thing, which is feasible at audience sizes that are achievable for many podcasters if they focus and work on their craft, you know, can really not just change your life financially, but provide a, a ton of like emotional uh, reward for the hard work that you do. So definitely something to think about and work on as your show continues to grow. Um, and thanks, I appreciate everybody's attention and uh, we'll take some questions here at the end. Thanks a lot. Um, we have a uh, microphone bearer who can just pick whoever uh, and, and pass the thing around, that, that works for me. Thanks. Uh, great talk. Two Thank quick you. questions. Um, at the, I think on the first slide you mentioned you guys calculate revenue per listener. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious to like what some of the benchmarks are for that. And then on another slide, on your conversion rates, you had um, cost per like cost per listener. You mentioned cost per subscriber. I'm curious, is that like the cost to acquire a listener or the cost to acquire a subscriber? Because those could be two different things. Yeah, uh, both uh, really good questions. Um, the, what we measure um, like revenue for your audience is like often called eCPM or we call it RPM, revenue per, per thousand listeners. Um, you know, some of the public companies uh, that are in this space will release, you know, how many downloads they have and what their revenues are. And so the biggest podcast, the really, really big ones that are doing, you know, eight ads an episode and stuff, they can get all the way up to, you know, $100 plus uh, per thousand downloads. Um, what we tend to see kind of in the middle class something closer to, uh, you know, anywhere, you know, could be pretty low if you're, if you're uh, not able to acquire a lot of ad uh, subscribers and maybe five bucks or something, all the way up to, I don't know, $50, $60 is sort of where you're doing really well in terms of monetizing your audience. So if you have 10,000 listeners a week uh, and you got a $60 uh, eCPM, you know, that's 600 bucks a, a week. Um, and, you know, some podcasts, uh, uh, you know, probably a more average level is maybe, you know, somewhere between 10 and 30 uh, would be like, you're doing a pretty darn good job monetizing the audience. 
uh, my question for you regarding advertising is so for a show like mine where I'll fluctuate any between 30 listens per episode to 200 to 250, somewhere around there, it fluctuates quite a bit. Mm-hmm. For me to start putting ads, it would actually take quite a bit of time before that ad to produce any value to even make 15 bucks. And so for me, it's like I don't even want to bother my audience yep. with that because the, the reward is so small that I think the pain that I give them isn't beneficiary. Yep. But we're also talking about maybe priming your audience to start hearing ads as you grow. Is there a specific time or growth where you said at this point you should start adding ads into your podcast? Yeah, good question. I mean, I I don't think there's like a definitive answer that I can answer with math for that. I mean, I think that's more about you and your audience and how much you feel that the ads are a burden um, and then what reward you're getting back from them. Um, In the end, I agree with you. When your show is not quite large enough to generate uh, ad revenue that's going to be meaningful, uh, you know, I'd focus on the other two parts of this talk. Focus on growth, really think hard about how you can work on that and come up with scalable strategies uh, and, and, and continue to iterate on those and keep those going. Um, and then consider subscriptions because, um, you know, like I showed you before, if you can convince 20% of your audience like that, that, that sports podcast has done, uh, even if your audience is fairly small, those dollars can add up uh, pretty quickly. And once you figure out the growth engine and get the show's content in a place where it's retaining audience really well, you know, turn on ads when, when you get a little bit bigger. That would be my suggestion. Uh, there was one other little question about um, acquiring audience and how much that costs. Um, you know, we have uh, advertisers that use the advertising side of Red Circle as a, a growth tool. They'll run ads uh, at cost to, instead of cross promotions, they'll pay for the space um, to drive new audience to their show. That can be fairly expensive. Um, and I would, if I were an independent podcaster who maybe had some money to spend on it, I would want to be really sure that my my bucket was not leaky before I put dollars uh, into that. I think good conversion rates for that kind of stuff, uh, I don't know offhand, but there are some benchmarks from Chartable and others that you can go look up on, on sort of what good conversion rates look like and start to understand if it, it could, the economics could make sense. Something I'd want to wait probably until you're sure you, your audience is going to stick around um, and where your monetization stuff on the other end of that is in a good place before you start pumping dollars into the funnel. That's why cross are great because they're free. You know, you can do a cross-merger with another podcast. It's an exchange. Uh, there's very low risk, uh, except for your time, right? Anybody else? Yeah, quick, quick question. If, if you have ads in place in episodes that are quite a bit older, and you don't think those ads are as important or as, as relevant, or maybe they're time-sensitive, what are your recommendations for changing those out? And can that negatively impact, like, your stats or something if you're if you're editing prior prior episodes yeah great question so with red circle we do all of our ads with dynamic insertion and that's what i'd encourage you to do with whatever um hosting company uh, you use to distribute your podcast now i'll talk for a second if you already have them burned in um many many podcast hosts these days have a technology called dynamic insertion where they're rebuilding the audio files um either uh, every time you make a change or in our case uh, every time a download happens we're building those files in real time. Uh, And if you do your ads that way, then you can really easily swap them out for something else in the future. So I'd really encourage you to look for a host that has that technology and start to leverage, understand how it works and leverage it. Um, That way, um, you know, when you sign an ad deal, uh, you can, you can decide, okay, we're only going to put this in for this episode for 90 days. And then you can take that out and fill it with programmatic going forward. And, you know, the one listener who's listening to your back catalog, you know, you you can continue to monetize that space. If you have, um, 
you know, burned in is what it's called, sort of it's in the audio, it's not dynamically inserted ads from the past. Uh, it's not super complicated to go and, you know, cut those out. Some hosts have uh, even features for that. Uh, and if you update an episode in the past with new audio, you know, nothing bad happens. Um, you don't want to delete the episode and create a new one or it'll notify everybody that it's new. Um, but if you just sort of change the audio on an existing episode, that's doable and won't, won't mess anything up. Great, thank you. I really appreciate your talk. Um, Thanks. I'm, I'm like the other guy. I, I'm Super Dave from the Hero Academy. I, my show gets about 25 downloads per episode. Mm -hmm. um, you had mentioned you, you'd worked with some shows that were starting from zero. I'm not quite at zero, but. Yeah. Um, so you advised to, to work on growth strategies. How long did it take those company, the, you know, those, those shows? that you started with, how long did it take them to start to see some revenue once they were working with you? This is a labor of love, my friend. Um, it's not a quick thing. Um, you know, like I said, the, the, what we hear in the stats consistently and reports from Edison and others say the main way people learn, uh, find new podcasts is by word of mouth. And that's just, you know, there's no algorithm for that. That's just, that's just human interaction that takes time. Um, you know, some of the shows that we have, uh, this guy, uh, the quote that I put up there about how it was life, that guy's been podcasting for 10 years um, and, and eventually sort of paid off in a big way for him. Um, but you got to put in the time and it's gonna, it sometimes can take years. Um, and what you can do is focus on the content, make sure it's great, make sure it's compelling, make sure the people that you do talk to who listen to the show love it. And then, uh, and then yeah, focus on those growth strategies. You know, sometimes they can move the numbers pretty quickly. Um, but again, if you don't make sure that the audience that comes uh, is, is wanting to stay, um, then you'll be putting a lot of work in trying to grow it and just sort of be, you know, treading water, right? Um, but yeah, it's, it's not going to be an overnight thing. Um, you know, there's no YouTube algorithm to just find your show and pump it up. Uh, you got to find the people that want to share it and you got to put the work in. It can take a long time. Uh, it's not an overnight success kind of medium. Unless you're a celebrity from somewhere else. You know, Joe Rogan didn't have to do, well, he actually podcasts for many, many years. Um, but celebrities will come out and use their celebrity, their social media presence to grow. They have an unfair advantage uh, to, to that end. Um, but if your show is compelling and there's the right audiences out there that wants to find this stuff, um, they'll find it. But you just got to keep going. When you start getting revenue, do you need to get an LLC? Um, I would encourage you to do that. You don't need it if it's just you. Um, there's a couple good reasons. I don't want to give, this is not formal legal advice. A uh, couple things that makes having an LLC a good idea. Um, one of them is it's tax related. Again, speak to a tax advisor. But um, anytime you're spending money on something related to your podcast, then you can kind of write that off. So that's a good idea. If you have a, um, a co-host or people that you work with on the podcast, and it really makes sense to make sure that the relationship between you and the other host is very well defined in a legal way. You know, you don't think that that's important. You're just hanging out on the couch and doing your podcasts. Um, but if it starts to make money, um, you know, I'm sure you all have had experiences with friends or family where money kind of gets in the way. And you just want to make sure that's really clear. We've had podcasts that, you know, have had disputes between co-hosts before. And they come to us like we're gonna fix it. <laughs> like we're a technology platform; it's not for us to deal with. Um, and so having like legal reasons is a good idea. You know, if if you just uh, have it on yourself, uh, you'll be okay. But um, there's good reasons to want to have an LLC, and you know that's not super expensive—a couple hundred bucks one time a year should be good. 
All right, I see 22 seconds on there, or I'm over time already. So thank you very much. Really appreciate uh, everybody's attention, and uh, hopefully that was useful.